0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.
1: AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok, and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this
1: next award.
0: And here are the nominees. And...
2: I'm Katie Rich. I'm back from vacation, and uh, Richard Lawson also here with me. Also back from vacation.
3: Yeah, I'm back in the United States. Like I, they couldn't keep me away.
2: Uh, and then uh, joining us also once again, we have Hillary Buses. Hi, Hillary. Hi. I've been here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> While some of us were gone, Hillary was keeping things running in our absence. Somebody's got to <laughs> layabouts, just gallivanting off to beaches <laughs> in France. Uh, well, Richard was sweating in a tuxedo for part of his time in France, at least. So he,
2: he put in the work, the sweat equity, as you will. We should also say thank you to Joanna, who is out for a few weeks. She'll be back. Um, and Chris Murphy and David Canfield for taking over last week on the lovely episode. Uh, I had a blast listening to it. It's very fun to listen to your own podcast when your own stupid voice is not on it. So thank you guys for handling it while we were gone. But now that Richard and I are back and getting our heads around the world, uh, we aren't talking about Cannes anymore, but we have more festivals to talk about with the Venice and New York Film Festival lineups and Toronto Film Festival lineups all taking shape. Uh, And there's a whole bunch of new movies out, uh, all with varying degrees of awards possibilities, but all fun to talk about. So we're going to get into a bunch of them. And then in the second half of the episode, you'll hear once again from David Canfield, who interviewed Rosie Perez about her Emmy-nominated role in The Flight Attendant, which I am so excited to listen to. Um, well, first, I said we weren't going to talk about Cannes anymore, but Richard, was there anything left from Cannes you wanted to get into that you didn't share in our um, kind of bleary early morning French dispatches? The the palm has been handed out. The awards are gone. Uh, anything left from Cannes to get into?
3: Um, well, one piece of advice sh- should anyone be considering going to Cannes in the future if on your last full day where you're you know, if you even if you have a little work to do, but you have one movie that's on your schedule, don't skip it because that movie might win best actor at Cannes, which is what happened <laughs> with the Justin Kurzel film that Caleb Landry Jones won. I was like, do I really want to see a movie about a mass shooter as my last film at Cannes? I said I didn't and then I regretted it. So be careful about that. Um, so I still have to check that out. But I think when we talked last Katie, I was about to see Red Rocket. Um, mm-hmm. the uh you know, Sean Baker movie with Simon Rex. And I um, I said I would file a dispatch if I, if I loved the movie. I didn't end up doing that. I mean, I reviewed the film, but I didn't jump on the podcast to declare my affection for the film and for Simon Rex's incredible performance, which I thought was like kind of a shoe in for best actor, but the film didn't win any awards. So it just seemed, it it just didn't really hit for um, the the jury led by Spike Lee. Um, But it will be definitely a big conversation movie that is going to play fall film festivals. And, you know, when I talked to Simon Rex at Cannes, I I was like, so what's like the future? He was like this, I'm basically coming to like events like this for the next six months.
2: Oh God, six months if he's, I mean, I I guess if he's lucky, he's doing it for almost a year until the Oscars. That's the, uh,
3: well, that's what he doesn't see coming (laughs) yet. Yeah.
2: Red Rocket is an A twenty four release, right?
3: It's A twenty four. Yep. Okay. Yeah. and it'll be out this fall at some point. And you know, it'll be curious. I'll be curious to see where awards bodies fall. I mean, Spirit Awards, it's like a shoot. It's like that's a lock. But yeah. uh, for other things, I wonder because it's not as um, you know, there's not a cute kid at the center like there was for Florida Project, which got you know some awards traction. But you know, Baker's profile is on the rise, and this movie like has this big sort of. I guess you could say comeback performance similar to Mickey Rourke in The Wrestler, except Simon Rex didn't have the earlier career that Mickey Rourke did. Um, but it has that sort of narrative of a ne'er-do-well-made good that, I mean, even though he's not playing a good character in the film, um, that, you know, I think should give it a lot of attention. I'll be curious to see how far it can, uh, it can ride the rocket.
0: Well, at least they don't have to worry about trying to win over the uh, Hollywood Foreign Press Association this year.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yes, Exactly.
0: Uh,
2: just some other splinter group that will inevitably pop up. Um, well, I mean, so Red Rocket has not shown up on any of the festival lineups that we've been kind of seeing come in fast and furious, but it does seem safe to assume, like you said, Richard, that it will show up somewhere at some point. It, the initial TIFF lineup is out, which um, Joanna and Chris and David talked about last week. Um, and then the Venice Film Festival full lineup has come out, um, including a bunch of big titles that were rumored, maybe some that weren't. And then also the New York Film Festival has announced that um, Joel Cohen's Macbeth movie with Francis McDormand and Denzel Washington will be in it, as well as um, Jenkins. Champions Power of the Dog, which is also part of Venice. Um, there's a lot of titles to get into. Kind of unlike last year, we've got this interesting mix of huge movies and small ones like Dune is going to be playing at Venice, as well as The Last Duel, one of the two Ridley Scott movies that are coming out. This is the one with Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. I don't think any of us will be at Venice, so maybe we should temper our excitement and just be jealous of everybody. But what's grabbed um, y'all's attention from all of this this flurry of announcements?
0: I mean, certainly well, initially, the first thing from Venice that sticks out for me, sorry to cut you off, Richard. Um, but, and also, I think the most Vanity Fair y movie is probably uh, Pablo Lorraine Spencer, uh, the Princess Diana biopic starring Kristen Stewart. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That one, that one has my, I mean, even the still images of Kristen Stewart, I feel like have uh, I feel launched like a of Yeah. Yeah.
0: Frankly, he didn't even have to
3: make the movie. He could have just
0: dressed her up and we would all be like, amazing, give her the awards.
2: Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Or could, she at least could have been in a Vanity Fair uh, photo spread that I would have been proud of.
3: And it's good that it's coming at Venice because it's going to kick off the fall the autumn of diana <laughs> rather than kind of be playing catch-up to the next season of the crown the return of the diana musical on broadway that netflix is going to film and put on the service like a, you know the film stage version so like there's going to be a lot of diana content and so spencer getting out there kind of ahead of the pack in a way even though we've already seen you know the amacor and season of the crown um i think it will, will help that movie hopefully and hopefully lorraine can do for Diana what he did for, for Jackie O
2: yeah do we know what part of Diana's life this is focusing on like just based on Kristen Stewart's hair alone it seems like while well, she's still married to Charles
3: I think the word is that it's about her deciding to leave him to okay. leave Charles
2: that all adds up um I mean Richard you have been to Venice um you were you like we, none of us were there last year when it was kind of like the only in-person festival but do you want to just remind people of like where this fits in with Telluride, TIFF, New York Film Festival like how how it what role it plays in kind of setting the tone for the season to come
3: yeah, I think increasingly Venice has been, you know, more and more the sort of cl- the beginning clearinghouse for the award season. Um, it runs, it spans about 12 days, I think, kind of a front-loaded festival though you don't have to go for the whole 12 days but um, it goes over Labor Day weekend so it kind of it runs concurrent it starts before Telluride then Telluride happens Venice is still running and then the last day of Venice is often the first day of Toronto yeah so it's a long kind of thing and I think the interesting thing that's happening with Venice this year that has only raised its profile that much more in terms of getting big anticipated Hollywood you know or Hollywood adjacent movies is that a lot of these awards fall films are kind of avoiding Toronto because it's just so unclear whether people can travel if they're going to have a regular festival like they used to you know two years ago or whatever and so a lot of the bigger titles are steering clear of the of toronto currently and venice which is often in a sort of like whether it's official or not kind of uh competition with tiff about titles and who gets to premiere what um is really benefiting from that this year
2: well, you do see a couple of overlaps. Like well, last night in Soho, the Edgar Wright movie will be in Toronto as well as at Venice. Um, and the Toronto lineup isn't complete yet, so we'll probably see more things like coming to one or the other. Um, and you get the overlap between Power of the Dog in Venice and also the New York Film Festival, though there's like a month and a half between the two. And then Telluride, Richard, you mentioned which you will be at. Like that seems, I think. Though they always keep their lineup secret until the last minute. I think there's a lot of speculation around it that it'll be a pretty prominent one because it's relatively easier to get to. You don't have to cross international borders to get there. Um, But it's a lot of uncertainty about this fall festival season that's, you know, a month and a half away at this point.
3: Yeah, I can't quite tell right now if Telluride's secrecy um, is a benefit or not for them right now. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like because they don't announce their lineup until the first day of the festival. So you're usually like on the plane getting the Wi-Fi for too much money on the plane (laughs) and finding out what you're about to go see, Um, you can kind of infer based on what on the TIFF lineup is a Canadian premiere or a North American premiere. You know, like you can say, okay, so that's probably going to be at Telluride. But um, I didn't see a ton of those indicators in this year's TIFF lineup. I would hope that a lot of what's going to be at Venice will... Um, you know, come come to Colorado because I really want to see Spencer as soon as I can and various other things. The Campion film. Um, yeah, I can wait for New York Film Festival, but it would be nice to kind of get an earlier view of that. I know that Can really wanted the Campion film, but I think it wasn't quite ready in time.
2: Well, also the Campion film is a Netflix movie and Can and Netflix continue to be oh, locked in internal yes. battle, right? Yes. Yes.
3: <laughs> that's right. It wasn't because it wasn't ready. That's, that's right. It's the Netflix thing. Um, and I believe that You know, Campion, prior to Julia Ducournau, was the only woman to win the Palme d'Or at Cannes. And so not having the new Campion film at their festival, because they love bringing back past directors, past Palme d'Or winners, um, kind of, you know, was another indicator that Cannes maybe needs to, and France (laughs) needs to kind of think about this netflix thing
2: yeah um netflix kind of has like refuses to announce his release dates for anything at this point so we're kind of all guessing about what's going to be where but i think you can see both of them maybe making long long fall festival runs before showing up on the platform sometime later in the year Uh,
3: i think one thing that i want to kind of keep an eye on because basically to kind of save face a couple years ago i was like is it possible because it's premiering in Toronto that like Jamie Lee Curtis could get an Oscar nomination for playing Laurie Strode in the new Halloween movie? That didn't happen, but the movie <laughs> was a huge hit and it had Jamie Lee Curtis kind of re-embracing, you know, that legacy for her and kind of owning it in a, in a new way. And now this the follow up to that Halloween Kills is going to be at, out of competition at Venice. Yeah, So maybe this is the start to the jamie lee curtis oscar campaign that didn't happen with the first halloween you You sound like like glenn close's publicist publicist.
0: you're like this is gonna be the one
3: (laughs) jamie lee curtis (laughs) is in sunset boulevard right like that's
0: (laughs) is this this why
2: universal paid all that money for that exorcist trilogy from david gordon green like they saw this coming and they know the buzz he's gonna be writing on from winning jamie lee curtis the best actress oscar
3: could be i mean it would be exciting you know i hated the, the the most recent halloween movie i thought it was really bad but she's good in it and uh i i think that also i saw it at midnight in toronto which was i can't do that so, I should, so maybe maybe <laughs> best i'll see actress this anymore.
0: winners yeah best actress winners have a rich tradition of winning for movies that people don't like other than the central <laughs> performance so maybe that's true, <laughs> true.
2: that's true the, the judy path is uh, gonna be the one that jamie lee curtis follows um, before we get off of festivals, I did just want to talk real quick about Macbeth because they released the I think the New York Film Festival released the still image from it, And it looks incredible. It's just a picture of Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. But I don't I don't know how you look at that picture. You're not just like, holy shit, I got to see this movie right away.
3: Yeah, it it definitely is one of the big like, you know, I think Gold Derby has it like number one on their like best picture odds right now um i don't know if that'll happen it's an apple thing it's black and white it's shakespeare i don't know but um it's definitely going to be a movie and i think it's a real coup that new york got it for the opening night yeah
0: the log line is pretty incredible a work of stark chiaroscuro and incantatory rage (laughs) (laughs) i mean is this the first
2: time that joel cohen has been a solo credited director since like you know they finally got it so that they would credit both of them with the dga rules like it's it's just him and not ethan right yeah, that's that's a, a change for sure. Yeah. I mean it's just like don't you guys just flash back to this time last year where we were like, Well, what do we got? I don't know. How many movies are even left at this point? Like there's exciting stuff on the horizon. Not that there weren't some great movies last year, but as much as the world doesn't feel like it's getting back to normal, movies feel like they're getting back to semi normal and it it's it's comforting to me to have all of this to be excited about.
0: As long as I can see West Side Story sometime before I die, um, I, I think that that's that's the moment that I will finally feel like we're back.
2: Not Dear Evan Hansen uh, opening night at the Toronto Film Festival.
0: Oh boy!
2: <laughs> um, I did want to bring up West Side Story because, like, I'm, you know, looking at this list that we have of you know most of the big titles that we're looking toward, the vast majority of them are starting to make themselves known, or like you know, we're at Cannes or on these festival lineups or. Um, you know, at least have trailers out. I think West Side Story is kind of one of the last few big question marks. House of Gucci, maybe the other one. But um, it's all kind of starting to take shape. And it, it makes me curious about, you know, what we're not seeing coming and, you know, what else is going to show up on a festival. But it's nice to to be able to see the shape of the season to come.
3: Yeah, I think always, I think always think about my first experience at Telluride where Moonlight premiered. And that was a movie that I had heard about maybe a month before the festival. And then obviously it went on to become such a huge thing. Um, So I'm hoping that there are a couple things lurking like that that we're not quite aware of. But as it's taking shape right now, it's a lot of big, you know, established directors from film from like major film studios. Like it it feels um, much more Hollywood right now than it has in years in recent years past, I think.
2: I think uh, if you're if you're watching the Oscar broadcast ratings, that can only be good news.
3: Yeah. And like Ridley Scott was going to be dueling with himself. He has two movies coming.
2: <laughs> As will Matt Damon, who, uh, you know, is opening Stillwater this week and has The Last Duel coming right around the corner.
3: That's right. Yeah. I'll be curious to see how people, what people think of Stillwater, like whether it will set Matt Damon on a good course for the rest of 2021 or not.
2: Well, I mean, this seems like a good time to get into our big list of upcoming movies that we wanted to talk about. And Richard, you talked about Stillwater from Cannes not all that long ago. So we don't need to talk about it in too much detail. But, you know, it's so my my local indie theater here in North Carolina is finally reopening this weekend and it will be playing Stillwater. And it just makes me curious about like, you know, a relatively small scale indie opening semi wide around the country. Like what what kind of traction is this movie going to get?
3: The reception is going to be interesting because I think a lot of people are expecting a kind of zeitgeisty kind of true crimey Amanda Knox movie and it's that a little bit but it's mostly something very different and very can it's this kind of rambling long discursive thing where it the movie takes little turns and in interesting directions that you don't expect and it's a much more like meditative sort of oddity than it is uh you know rip from the headlines kind of thing and I wonder if that will kind of disappoint people
0: yeah I, I saw it last week um, and yeah Richard that really struck me as well um, but what's weird about it is that it feels like two thirds of the way through the movie it decides that it does want to be like a thriller, true crime, ripped from the headlines kind of movie and it goes in a completely different direction and like I wonder if that kind of dissonance between the first part of the movie and the, and the ending is going to be something that uh, doesn't work in its favor.
3: Yeah and I think it's also like I mean maybe I'm reaching with this and i wrote about it from can but like i think there's something really allegorical at work in the movie uh on kind of two different fronts i just think that sometimes people are like well i don't like i I just want to read the movie as it's presented i don't want to like do the extra work not because they're lazy but because maybe a film should be a little bit less coy about what it's quote unquote really about And so I can kind of see it being a little alienating in that way. Are people really wanting to sit with a movie that I think is ultimately about like the the havoc that Americans wreak abroad? Um, (laughs) You know, I don't know. But I think that if nothing else, it's like a good starting point for this season or couple seasons of Matt Damon, um, who really has kind of I feel like been kind of quiet uh, for the past few years.
2: Yeah, I was reading the David Marchese profile of him in the New York Times. It was out today kind of talking about how he's like, you know, well-established as a good guy and all his most interesting roles kind of play against that. Going back to the talented Mr. Ripley. And it, it did seem like it was like, here is the season where we, we take a, account of Matt Damon, movie star, and why we're grateful for him. Uh, I don't know, Ben Affleck being in the tabloids every day can't hurt with that. They do kind of still exist in your mind as a pair of people you like to think about for better or for It's worse. a little
0: bit like Goofus and Gallant.
2: <laughs> I'm I'm continuing to root for Ben. I'm excited for his future what it holds, and uh, I'm excited for the last duel. I, I do feel like that Venice slot um, felt like a vote of confidence, even you know it was going to be a big movie no matter what. But it has ratcheted up my excitement, uh, even even if last or uh, if House of Gucci remains the Ridley Scott I'm most excited about.
1: Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair.
4: Um,
2: well, speaking of small movies that are going to be opening semi-wide, uh, Green Knight is also out this week. Um, also from May 24, they just had Zola a couple weeks ago, which I think um, maybe underperformed considering its buzz from Sundance uh, over a year and a half ago. And uh, Green Knight does seem to have buzz in the circles of the people you would expect. Like, I don't know that a uh, David Lowery uh, Arthurian legend movie is ever going to like set the box office on fire. Uh, <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I think, Hillary, you're the only one of us who has. Um, but I am, uh, I'm curious about what you think the reception for this is going going to be even among the people who are you know already built in to be pumped for it
0: you know I think the people who are built to be pumped for it are going to enjoy it it's uh it's a movie that I think I am seeing more in and like appreciate more the more I think about it it's it's the sort of thing that you want to talk about after you see it um Mm -hmm. it's not I, I think that maybe it's being sold a little that it's being sold maybe as something that has more action or that is more like, Oh, Dev Patel is like in sword fights in in medieval times. And like, isn't that cool? Um, but it's, it's quieter and weirder and like very allegorical, um, to steal a word from you, Richard. And I don't think that it's going to be a popular hit, but I think that among the kind of people who are predisposed to like this sort of movie, it's gonna really, really kill.
3: I think it's nice when they make a movie for film Twitter, you know,
0: it does. It does feel like a movie made for film Twitter. That is the succinct way to put it.
2: Uh, is it more or less accessible than a ghost story, which is the the David Lowry movie? I feel like I've seen it compared to the most.
0: I did not actually see a ghost story, so I cannot answer that. Um, all I know about a ghost story is that they sent me a sheet. I think they probably sent all of us a sheet and that might be still haunting the World Trade Center somewhere on the 42nd floor. That actually
3: it's just does, wandering around.
2: That, that does feel like part of the movie, a ghost story. It feels like part of how the movie works. <laughs> um yeah, I, I'm planning to go see uh, Green Knight on the big screen this weekend because I do I have been told that it is the kind of thing that you should experience on the big screen. It is interesting to think about the summer that A24 has been having because Zola was, you know, so well loved and kind of like landed with a little bit of a like less of a splash than we expected. It's got Red Rocket coming as we expect. Like they kind of remain the masters of like the hip indie um, and have really done it well in the summer sometimes. But uh, I'm curious about what what will break through the pack for them this year, if anything.
3: Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen Green Knight yet. I'm seeing it tonight um, as we record. But I think that like if nothing else, it's good to be in the David Lowry business because he keeps doing interesting things that are so wildly different in tone and style and scope and everything. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if this was a little bit like one for him kind of thing. But right now it kind of looks like Red Rocket is A24's like big thing, but I'm sure there's other things that I'm forgetting.
2: Well, they also are on the Prodigy of Macbeth, which I had forgotten until just now. Um, they're co-distributing with Apple TV Plus, so that's, that's something go. working in their favor. Uh, and then after yeah. Yang, which was at Cannes as well, which I remain excited
3: about. Yeah, that's going to be a smaller play in it for everything, but um, certainly will, you know, be in the mix.
2: Um, The last Green Knight thing is that, uh, as we all know, I've been a devoted Dev Patel stan ever since uh, the personal history of David Copperfield, which I thought was very unfairly treated by its award season. And I don't know if Green Knight is going to change anything for Dev Patel, but, uh, you know, he's doing fine in his career, but I'm just really waiting for his, like, big breakthrough leading man moment because I feel like he's been doing it a lot and no one's been paying enough attention and...
0: I mean, it very well could be this. If nothing else, I mean, Film Twitter would agree that he's very attractive in this movie. It's, it's neither here nor there. It doesn't have anything to do with his performance. He looks good with long hair. That's all I'm saying.
2: If we can't admit that we want to go see movies to watch beautiful people slay dragons, like, what are we doing here? I think <laughs> that's what, what it exists for. He makes friends with the little fox. That's the only spoiler that I'll reveal. <laughs> um, while we're talking about small movies, we'll do one last one before moving on to some of the blockbusters. Uh, am I the only one here who's seen Pig? I
0: have not.
3: Um, I technically have seen it, Katie. Um, <laughs> I say technically because I saw it at night while Barry Jack lagged and kind of slapped through a lot of
2: it. It's a, it's a kind um, of dim but, yeah. and uh, slow paced movie. I can see how it would have that impact on somebody.
3: It certainly was not the John Wick but a pig that I was expecting.
2: No, and I think I think that's really something that works uh, in its favor. You know, it's this Nicolas Cage movie where he says repeatedly throughout the movie, I just want my pig back um, because he plays this man who lives kind of isolated in the woods and has a truffle hunting pig and he sells the truffles to, um, you know, a guy who provides truffles for fancy restaurants in Portland. Um, and his pig gets kidnapped and kind of over the course of his quest to get the pig back and he's joined by this... Um, Very Roman Roy-esque truffle dealer played by Alex Wolfe, who kind of reveals some inner depths of his own. Um, You learn about his backstory. Nicolas Cage is, like, really quiet and really good in this movie. I think if you've heard anything about it, you've heard that it's one of the best performances he's given in a long time. It really doesn't have any of the, like, big chaotic energy that you would associate with some of his most recent performances. Um, And the movie just kind of kept surprising me. Like, it moved in different directions. It had... A lot to do with the like high end restaurant world of Portland, which is not anything I had ever thought about. Um, it's not really like a Kelly Reichert movie, but but because she makes movies set in Oregon, I kept being like, "What if like this is set in the world of Wendy and Lucy or something like that?" Um, and I just liked it a lot. I think it, you know, it's released by Neon. Um, it's out there for you to see if you have access to it. And I, um, I think, especially if maybe you've written off Nicolas Cage as someone who can't like tone it down, you know, like a Bruce Willis who's just gonna kind of make you know big nonsense all the time like there's a lot to it that I think is really worth seeing and it's a cute pig I like that pig
3: it's- yeah I'm ready for the return of Sirius Nichols Cage you know I really very quickly grew tired of the sort of shtick thing that was kind of self-aware but also sometimes not and sort of ironic but also sometimes not like you know it was funny for a little bit but I think it got a bit overdone and so watching what i watched of pig um and it's like oh right like when he focuses and chooses the right thing and, and takes a specific tack with it he's a really really effective and subtle actor which is exciting to be reminded yeah of.
2: yeah and this movie really gives him a lot of time to just kind of be still and to watch what his face does and like even though he's got like a ton of uh, facial hair and like blood all over his face for the most movie that he refuses to wash off like that all that all sounds like shtick but it really doesn't feel like that in the in the context of this movie so I believe it is not on demand I've been trying to figure that out I think it's just in theaters right now um as ever it's really hard to figure out where you can see a movie these days but go look at your local showtimes and if you want to go see it you should um Well, Hillary, I believe Jungle Cruise is available wherever fine movies are shown on giant screens, right?
0: Um, am I am I a Disney publicist at this point? Or Is that why <laughs> I'm responsible? For that Listen,
2: question? when the rock, when the rock comes into the conversation, I just go directly to Hillary for expert opinion. <laughs> um, I, I have not seen Jungle Cruise, so I'm going to hand it over to you and Richard to tell me about a movie I am excited about. Probably, despite my better judgment, just because uh, Katie, uh, I was excited
0: too, and I oh no, to, I hate to bust your balloon, but I mean, Richard, I think you should take it from here. Uh, your review, which we're going to be publishing, um, it'll be up by the time this podcast episode is out. I think. Uh, basically uh, gets at what's wrong with Jungle Cruise.
3: It's almost funny and kind of respectably bold the way that Disney was just like, we're literally going to do Pirates of the Caribbean, but this other ride that's like near nearby in the park. (laughs) Like it's the exact (laughs) same model with like supernatural stuff that's added. And like, you know, it's so boilerplate in a way that like I kind of almost admire the nerviness of just like so blatantly doing that you know um i think the movie is fun for about 30 minutes and then just becomes so programmatic and obvious and predictable that it just gets very dull um which is a shame because
0: it's written by committee it has like seven credited screenwriters and story credit people and it it really shows
3: yeah that shows and like the cast is good and i think that they are good in it except that like they don't like emily blunt you know is terrific and everything and she's great here almost kind of too good for the movie though and i don't mean like she's above it i mean like she's kind of acting too well in a way that like makes you notice everything around her being sort of shoddy um so it's almost like you kind of want someone who's just a little less committed i guess um and she you know she and dwayne johnson have this kind of romantic arc that plays oddly I think mostly maybe because there's not a ton of sex in Disney movies these days and it's weird to see any sort of hint of that and also Dwayne Johnson kind of strangely like rarely ever does a romantic arc in his movies sometimes he has a wife or he's a widower but like he's never I mean it's very rare that he's like the person kind of like flirting and seducing and all that stuff and there's a little bit of that in Jungle Cruise and it's just kind of odd to, to witness I guess.
2: Uh, Well, speaking of him in house, Jesse Plemons and his German accent, that is my primary interest in this movie, I have to say. He's
0: fun.
3: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's a funny bit where he says the word jungle kind of strangely in his garbled German accent. And there's like someone's like doesn't understand what he's saying. Like, so they're, you know, they're having fun with that. But like and it's I I like it. I laughed, you know, but I think it's just a little tiny taste of what Johnny Depp brought in in aggregate in, in like a much bigger way to Pirates of the Caribbean. Like that sort of like gonzo you know, affected sort of like breaking the fourth wall kind of thing that without that as a huge centerpiece of Jungle Cruise, like you kind of, you, it, the whole movie doesn't feel anchored by anything. And Plemons is like trying here and there, but it's not enough.
0: He and Pell Giamatti are both like doing very big, very goofy accents. Like I think going for that sort of energy, but neither of them is in the movie very much. And maybe if they had a bigger part, maybe it would have made a bigger impression.
2: I mean, yeah, given the way that both the Pirates franchise and Johnny Depp's career evolved since then, I think it's easy to forget, like, what a huge impact his performance had on that first Pirates of the Caribbean movie and, like, how fresh it made the entire thing feel. And you really, you do need that if you're going to make a movie based on a ride, because, like, you can have a movie that's trying to, like, replicate the feeling of being in a theme park all you want, but, like, you need a story or something to hook you into it to, to stick with it.
0: Yeah, I mean, the most the, the part of the movie that I guess is most inspired by the ride, it's been several years, maybe decades since I've been on a Jungle Cruise ride, um, is The Rock is frequently like making very lame puns and everybody around him is groaning at how bad the puns are. And I understand that's something that uh, the the Disney uh, tour guide does when you're taking the ride. But I feel like if the joke is that the jokes are bad, that's not really <laughs> enough to kind of carry a movie.
2: Emily Blunt's Disney career is so funny at this point. Like, I keep thinking about how great she was in Mary Poppins Returns, a movie I like, I like more than basically anybody else. I mean, she seems to be doing very well and, like, comes off well in all of the big Disney movies that she makes. But none of them seem to hit the way that that she deserves.
3: Yeah, she's kind of veering a little bit dangerously close um, to, like being always great but in stuff that people just don't care about and i just want her to kind of pull out of that that nosedive you know because she's so great in in everything um she's got a quiet place part
2: two going for her still so that seems yeah no
3: that helps immensely sure but like I, i i understand that she's like doing all these huge projects making a ton of money getting this you know her her name you know sort of recognition that much bigger and whatever but i really would like to see her like kind of take some left turns and maybe leave the kind of kid-friendly space for a bit and and just kind of go exploring um but not in the amazon
2: <laughs> yeah as much I, I wasn't a huge fan of sicario but maybe like something more in that direction as a uh, as a way
0: to as a change of pace
3: right like what if she did sicario but it was good
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> you
3: know? there you go
0: Or if I mean, or if they still made movies like The Devil Wears Prada, if there were still like glossy, like chick flicky studio movies that aren't just kind of made for Netflix. I feel like if she could be at the center of one of those, that would also be very fun.
2: Yeah. let, Let Emily Blunt. I mean, I guess I assume she's funny in this, but maybe not Devil Wears
0: Prada level funny. Certainly not. Which is a shame.
2: Um, Well, one last trip to the multiplex before we head to the interview part of the show. Um, I also have not seen Old. I spent a week on a beach vacation, not at the beach that makes you old. Um, But it does. I mean, this movie has been memed to the point that it seems like it is making an impact at least.
0: Yeah. For an M. Night movie, I think that's really like what he's going for at this point is to be meme fodder. And in that way,
3: Old really succeeds. I mean, it feels really fun to have a movie that lots of people are talking about. Cause I feel like it's been a long time since we've had that, you know, that there's a kind of like conversation, even if it's not dealing directly with like the text of what old is as a movie, it's been hard, you know, this long into the COVID era to feel like, Oh, does anyone care about movies anymore? Like, is it, is there really an audience for this? Is there any semblance of a monoculture anymore? Um, and to have something like old come out where people are just having fun with it is great I just wish the movie itself uh, lived up to that
0: you don't think that it's fun enough to justify the fun that people are having at its expense
3: uh no I don't I think that it the writing in it is so strange in a way that like I feel like I past M. Night Shyamalan movies like there's like interesting dialogue and it's sort of there's a, a, a sense of sense and sort of you know cohesion to the writing and the storytelling and in this it just feels so choppy and a friend of mine compared it to like it feels like it was just passed through google translate a few times (laughs) like there's just something very off about the writing in the movie and like that really affects the performances it's kind of like the happening where you watch mark Wahlberg and zoe deschanel and all these other people and you're like I know these people to be good actors. Why are they so bad in this? <laughs> and it's it's that weird like Shyamalan can do that sometimes and I think he does that in old where you're like, Is Gail Garcia Bernal a terrible actor? And no, he's not. <laughs> he's just like it's very hard to make sense of what Shyamalan's written.
0: Well I guess the difference between you and me is that I agree, but that made me like the movie. <laughs>
3: okay that's fair yeah. which says
0: which says a lot about my taste personally probably but um yeah no i i had a great time nobody in this movie is a recognizable person um it's bizarre like clearly partway through like they run out of ideas as to how to like keep this premise going and just kind of start throwing stuff at the wall and i don't know it's it's also a short movie i think uh well, like a short maybe... movie yeah, you, you can't argue with that.
3: What I would advise people not to do, don't do what I did, which is to go see Old at 1130 matinee and then go see Jungle Cruise on the same day. That was that was hard.
0: That does seem a little taxing <laughs> on your on your brain on some level. I saw Old on on, on a screener at home and I really wish that I had been in a packed theater. I think that would have been mm. a very fun experience.
2: Yeah, I think about when I went to see The Village with my friends in college and like, you know, it gives you something to kind of yell about when you leave the theater, which I think is what Shyamalan movies can be so good for. Old seems to to really be fitting that bill.
0: Yeah, and especially if the audience is all in the same wavelength and everybody is kind of uh, reacting to the movie in the same way and like laughing at the same parts and gasping at the same parts. it It feels like a movie that if you see it with the right people, like that will enhance your impression of it.
3: Yeah, I think the four other like lone men who I saw old with at (laughs) 1130 in the the morning weren't really on that celebratory (laughs) wavelength, unfortunately.
2: It did make you feel young again to go to go see old.
3: (laughs) No, I mean, it was I mean, look, I can't complain about it. It, it, It's nice to be back in theaters and seeing previews and everything. But uh, again, I think the sort of experience of old the online, you know, memes and all that stuff uh, are all surrounding something that I just wish um, was more self-sustaining, I guess.
2: Okay, so now let's share David Canfield's interview with Rosie Perez, who is nominated for an Emmy for her role on The Flight Attendant. I'm sure we have talked before about what a kind of delight she is on that show, which, um, you know, her character is kind of off-type for her. You know, she broke out and Do the Right Thing is kind of this, like, really, you know, fiery and probably product- really dressed character, and that's kind of been her vibe for a long time, and she's playing this kind of, like, dowdy, insecure woman. Um, but it's her first Emmy nomination since so she was nominated for Choreographing in living color in nineteen ninety three she was only three times for that. Um, so it's just this exciting comeback for her. And I think David talked to her about that in some detail about how it feels to have arrived at this moment in her career. So let's listen to his interview with Rosie Perez
1: So I wanted to ask to start, you know it's it's been a long time in my opinion, too long since you've you've gotten this kind of industry recognition. And I'm wondering, at this point in your career, um, you know, how does it feel? What does it mean to you and, and and what do you make of receiving this recognition right now?
4: I think it's wonderful and 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 I'm so happy about it and I'm so appreciative sincerely. And this is my first, I mean, um for my acting. I mean, I mm-hmm. got it for you know choreography and whatnot, but it's just so I'm I'm corny and sensitive. So I just have to be honest with you, it fills my heart with joy. It really, really does. You know, the old cliche, you don't do it for awards, you know, but I want to add on to that. But when a recognition comes along, it's really nice. It really, really is nice. And I'm really happy for the, the show in its entirety because, you know, the show got nominated too and Kaylee and Susanna and Steve Yaki and the casting and, you know, cause we just had such a good time and they were so supportive in every step of the way and allowed me to do my thing, but yet were there to guide me. And it's like a dream. It's like, like oh my gosh. You know, and it's 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 fantastic. It really, really is.
1: So, in terms of getting, you know, getting the flight attendant, um, you know, you're someone who's had to fight a lot through their career to get good roles and, and push for um, what you're capable of. Does this feel like kind of a moment for you of making good on that, on 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 that effort paying through a little bit?
4: I I don't know if I would put it in that sense. I think it's more of, um, it's nice. It's just nice that it happened. It really, really is. And that if it didn't happen, that would have been okay too, you know? Because it is hard for a person of color, a person coming from a certain class, when you get stigmatized from that, by that, you know? And I was saying previously before, I tried my best not to be bitter. Just to get better, mm-hmm. you know, and and just walk along my path and not worry about anybody else's, yet still fighting for all of us. I wasn't just fighting for me. I really, I really, honestly and truly was not just fighting for me. I was saying, wait a minute, this is wrong. You know, you have white actors who come from Abject poverty and you don't treat them like this. You give them roles that have nothing to do with their economic background as a child, you know, but yet you do it to me and you do it to others. Why is that? Is it because we're Latino Americans, people of color? You know, it's that the bigotry runs deep and that said, I just refused myself to get bitter about it because then you're making it about yourself. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And you could get frustrated, you could get angry, You know. but if you're sitting there with a pity party, that's a party only for one and nobody wants to be invited. And the biggest effort I have made in my career is not to be bitter, but to be better. And if my peers recognized it along the way, that just touches my heart. You know what I mean? It really touches my heart. And also, cause I know it's gonna open more doors for other people mm-hmm. and they, they don't have to struggle as hard as I have. And they won't have to bust down as many doors as I've had to and, and people that came before me and, and, my, and, and people within my age group it's not a satisfaction like, oh, finally they recognized. Yeah. It, it really isn't that for me. It's more of a, oh my God, they liked my job. They liked what <laughs> I did in the flight attendant. Yay, team, you know? It really is that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why every time I think about it, I get emotional about it. Mm. Because I did work really, 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 really hard and I was given a freaking fantastic opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so were my other cast members of color. yeah. And other, and, and, and other cast members, different sexual orient, orientation too. That's, that's important too. And that I got recognized for a job that I helped develop a character. Mm-hmm. You know, that I had a supportive executive team and director that said, fly, we got you, we believe in you. And it's more of, you saw me sore, thank you. It's amazing. You know, I'm not trying to sound full of conceit, but I have done other great pieces of work and it hadn't been recognized or whatever. I didn't get mad about it. I didn't get like, oh, you just wait and see. No, I was just like, okay, all right, that was a great project and I really loved it, you know? Okay, what else is next? Mm-hmm. And that's what's kept me going. If, if there is a fight in me, it's not about me. It's about the rest of us, about mm-hmm. all. If I see something and go, yes, yes, we did good. We made progress. But this is just like, gee, golly, wow! <laughs> you know, it's just freaking fantastic.
1: It must um, build up your your confidence going into season two, and I imagine as well, you know, that the choices you made, and, and as you said, like having that freedom to to take more chances with a character and, and seeing it pay off like this.
4: Actually, it's the opposite. <laughs> I do. I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I get it. I get it. You know, and it's, you know, even talking to uh, Steve Yaki, what are you going to write? We can't tell you. Oh, my God. You know, it's just like, you know, and, uh, you know, when they told me that I have to uh, learn another language, I go, Korean wasn't enough. Really? You guys told me through. Really? Yeah. <laughs> they just start laughing and stuff. And so. Yeah, the pressure is on for sure. It is. The pressure that is not there is walking in and wondering if I have to fight to be heard, wondering if I have to stand my ground as to how I see the character, because that's part of the racism that people don't talk about. They only talk about the racism of not getting the opportunities right but let's talk about the racism that occurs even if you do get the opportunities you know once you're in the door it doesn't necessarily stop yeah you know the pressure is off of not being on guard actually when i started flight attendant i was so okay this is how i see my character they go okay and i go one <laughs> no. and you know and well no I don't think that she would wear that I would think that she would wear this I don't know exactly how that would be articulated because I'm not a costume designer but I don't think it's this I really think it's that and I'm waiting I'm waiting for the pushback and there was no pushback mm-hmm. and they're like okay yep. yep they said okay okay let's go and I'm like what y- y- it was that so none of that, even though it went away very quickly on day one, you know, but still the weeks building up to that day one is exhausting. It's exhausting. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, cause I'm a grown ass woman and I know I've learned how to fight differently and more effectively, but it's mm. still a fight. Yeah. You know? So that's what, that's what I'm looking forward to and the fun and whatever Kaylee, the ultimate event planner, has in store for us. You know, work, you know? Yeah, so.
1: yeah. I, it sounded like you guys got to have a pretty good time last season.
4: Yeah, we did. We had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun, even though I was the party pooper. But I would go to bed early. But, you know, I need my rest. And, <laughs> you know, but we had a really nice time. Really, really nice time.
1: Um, I did want to ask you a little bit about uh, Fearless, which was of course your last big awards run and, and one of my favorite performances of yours. Um, I know you, you've talked a little bit about coming up against um, the HFPA back then and the Golden Globes during that run, perhaps, so perhaps you aren't so surprised by where they are now. Just curious if you have any thoughts on that.
4: I hope they come into a different mindset and I hope that it's not temporary. I've seen waves before waves of social consciousness and change. And then it goes right back to the same old thing. Yeah. You know, so I'm rooting for them. And I remember I said, that's one of my friends. They're like, what? And I said, I am, I am. Why would I, why would I not? Isn't that what we were all fighting for? You know, for them to finally get it.
1: Yeah.
4: And not let them make another actress feel bad about being nominated ever again or question being nominated ever again because of the color of their skin, because of the social economics that they were born into. So I'm happy for them in the strangest way. I'm happy Mm. that they were brought to task, that they're taking heed and that they're saying they're going to change. So let's wait and see and give them the opportunity to change. Because if we don't give them the opportunity, then we're just as bad as them.
1: I think that's beautifully put. Yeah. You mentioned uh, the take, and I'm curious between stuff like Fearless, White Men Can't Jump, which are kind of more iconic roles for you. Is there a role that you look at that you're really, that you love, that you're really proud of that maybe just doesn't get talked about as much? I feel like we, we know the great Rosie Perez.
4: <laughs> I mean, even though... I got a nomination from the uh, Independent Spirit Award for the take. I still think that it was underappreciated. I agree. I think that John Leguizamo's work was outstanding in that. And our bedroom scene, I don't know if you remember it, after he has the brain injury. Mm. Outstanding. And he and I choreographed that scene. Wow. What was scripted was not working. And me and John, went in a corner and we huddled and we're talking, talking, talking to him, okay, 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 well, I'm gonna do this, okay, and then you do that, okay, okay, but if I don't do this, I'll follow, don't worry, okay, da da, da. boom, action, and it just happened. It was amazing. Wow. It was amazing. And um, that one is is very much under underappreciated. I think something as small as My guest starring role on high maintenance is underappreciated. Ah. I I think that the work that uh, Guillermo uh, Diaz and I did together was not only easy, but really, really challenging and exciting and satisfying. And um, think about what he did. He barely had any dialogue and you know exactly what his character was going through. You know what I mean? And you know how sometimes people of color say, I refuse to play this role, it's degrading to my race or my nationality, right? You didn't know what our characters did for a living, right? You didn't know what economical background our characters were from or anything like that. Um, We were just two people who had experienced a tremendous loss and were trying to navigate life step by step, you know? And when somebody interrupted our fantasy that we made to protect ourselves, all hell broke loose. You know, and how do you articulate the hell? Are you gonna try to whitewash it? Or are you gonna play the realness of the situation?
1: Mm-hmm. And
4: we did. And um, Ben Sinclair was so fantastic, so supportive. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. There's a lot of things that I like, you know, I mean, especially my Broadway work, but that I don't think went underappreciated because getting love from the hometown team, you know, I mean, think about it. A young little girl from Brooklyn, New York got to be on a Broadway stage, not once, not twice, not three, four, five, come on people, you know, it's like, whoa, this is like fantastic, you know? getting to work with people like George C Wolf and, 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 and um, Joe Montello and, you know, and Terrence McNally, it's a dream come true, you know, but then you wish, wow, I wish more people got to see it. You know, I wish they yeah. saw it, you know, and stuff like that. You know, that's, that's, that's the part about not being bitter because all my experiences that I've had, I think that there are probably two that I thought was just shit. <laughs> <laughs> and I would never want to revisit again. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but that's saying a lot after all these years, you know? It's,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I want to ask you also about um, Now and Then. Is that the show you're currently shooting? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's being shot in both Spanish and English, if I have that correct, right? Yeah. So that, to me, I mean, when I when I saw that incredible cast list and and this concept and you're shooting in Spain, I mean, it feels oh. like kind of show that maybe would not have been made very long ago, at least uh, at the scale it's being made. What what do you make of this project being a part of it and and how's it going so far?
4: I agree with you 100%. I don't think that it would have been made. I mean, having Apple TV assemble all this wonderful Spanish and Latino talent from across the pond and below, and it's just like, wow you know, and, and then having someone like Gideon Raff at the helm to die for. I, I called my agent. Oh my God, I love working with this man. And my agent, Steve Mata goes, every actor says that, that works with him. I go, yeah, my goodness. And, um, I said, he's like the best kept secret. And he goes, uh, honey, he's not the best. (laughs) See, it's not a secret. (laughs) Okay. And, um, You know, but it's been fantastic. And it's also been challenging, quite honestly, because my Spanish is more like Spanglish. Mm. And this project has pushed me out of that comfort zone and has challenged me. And, you know, Manolo Cordona, who's the lead, has such a kindness to him. And Gideon has such a kindness to him as well. And so does the people of Bamboo uh, Productions that they've given me time and support. So every single day, all that fret is just dwindling Mm -hmm. and everything. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm speaking Spanish like I did when I was a little girl. What the is going on? (laughs) You know, this is... Fantastic, and we're getting paid. <laughs> you know, it's just like, this is great, and um, um, but I love it. I I I love it. You know, so far there has been no complaints. It's been great, even with the blazing sun, and um, you know, Juana Acosta, wonderful actress. She just invited my sister and I over to her fantastic apartment in Madrid, and oh. you know. There's a different warmth and inviting spirit that comes from Spanish people that's different. It's not showy. It's not anything about hierarchy. It's not about pretense, because sometimes actors' insecurities make them wear a certain pretense that you see right through. You know, they think they have to act like a movie star. You're like, no, you don't. You know, and none of that's here. None of that. And it's been really nice, really nice, really nice. And, and I think that we're delivering really good work, you know. You know, and um, Gideon Raff and Carlos, he's the other director in it. Uh, you know, they've been pushing all of us in a, in a really fantastic way. So I'm excited. Fingers crossed. Oh, my God. Yeah. We'll see.
1: It sounds great. And, and what a great thing to have two shows working like this at the same time
4: i know it's <laughs> very... <laughs> the only thing that sucks is it's not in new york <laughs> yeah. yes
1: that dream seems far away right now you're you're everywhere but new york
4: <laughs> yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah
4: yeah. so i was funny too when i called kaylee i said because um she was instrumental in um allowing this Apple T V project to happen because you know they you know flight attendant was in first position and yeah, they kinda and she rearranged things which like, wow, and I called her and I said, Kaylee, I want to thank you. And I also want to say, screw you. She goes, what? I said, I got to fly again. <laughs> she burst out laughing. She goes, that's it Perez, it's over. <laughs> so uh, yeah, so that was that was really nice too. She's so funny.
1: Yeah. Um, well, the legend, Rosie Perez, congratulations on your success on these shows. I can't wait to see what comes of both of them. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today.
4: Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. That does it for this week's show. You can find us
2: at VanityFair.com where you can read Richard's review of Jungle Cruise and coverage of all the movies that we talked about. Um, You can find us on Twitter at LittleGoldMen and on our own. I am at Katie Rich and Richard. Rylos and Hillary filibuster. You can also text us at Subtext where we love to hear from you. You can sign up at jointsubtext.com/littlegoldmen or text 213-401-9739. This week's episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs, and this week's award for the best
0: description of this very podcast goes to Hillary Buses. A work of stark chiaroscuro and incantatory rage. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts.